This is Bail Street. Crime, finance, and everything in between. Hosted by Ira Jettleson, bail bondsman to the stars, and Danny Moses of The Big Short fame. This is Bail Street. Welcome back to Bail Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettleson. What's up, Ira? What's up, my brother? Another episode for us, huh? Yeah, it's been a couple weeks, a lot going on. One of the things that's gotten my attention recently is a lot of insider corporate selling. And uh, when I say that, I'm talking stocks, Ira. So I got you, yeah. I got you, I got yeah. you. So you're basically talking about insider trading. Well, there's legal insider trading and there's questionable insider trading and there's illegal insider trading. And what got my attention was um, Project Warp Speed. So Project Warp Speed was, it's, I think it's $10 billion has been allocated to find a cure. I, I just want to, before you, before you stop, yeah. this, this has nothing to do with Star Trek, right? Correct. Okay, Correct. Right, go on, I'm going, I'm sorry. Although I wouldn't be surprised if the government somehow invested in that, in the series also to help find a cure. But let me just say that I hope they find a cure. I don't want money. I would spend, they should spend a trillion dollars to find a cure if it was done the right way. So that's not my point here. My point is that they, so they set up this, this project, it's called Operation Warp Speed, and they allocated $10 billion from Congress to allocate to biotech companies that are out there trying to find a cure. They'll put money towards um, the syringes towards the manufacturing of the drug, towards the development of the drug. So it's, it's a wide variety. And it's overseen by the head of Health and Human Services, Azar, the Defense Secretary, Esper, although I'm not sure exactly how, you know, obviously protecting those assets, I guess. And then there's a, there's a Dr. Slowey who oversee it. And so I wasn't really paying attention to it. And then there was a company called Moderna, which is one of these biotech companies. And it was pretty much they failed on a lot of the trials in the past, not COVID related, just, you know, general. So I looked at a couple of these companies that got the money. The other companies were Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, much bigger companies. Strong so it's company. not, Yeah, they're strong existing, whatever. Not that I trust them more or less. It's just, let me look at this. So I bring up this Moderna. Stock goes from $10 to, to $90, Ooh. you know, it runs up. Um, series of announcements that occur. And I notice all this insider selling going on. The chief medical officer basically sell, sold every share that he owns and he has options and he exercises and sells them on a daily basis every share he owns. The CEO has sold lots of stock. The CFO actually resigned. There's a board member that resigned. There's a lot of weird stuff going on for a company that may be on the cusp of curing COVID, right? And then I looked how they're selling stock, and it's under something called the 10B51 plan. So just Wall Street loves acronyms, and that's kind of how you hide with a lot of stuff is letters and numbers. But 10B5 was put in place in 1934. It's part of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. And 10B51 is kind of an addendum to that, which basically protects corporate insiders from being prosecuted for insider trading by having, go ahead, you're about to say oh, something? So the, this is protecting the insider. This is protecting the people that are selling inside. Right, or buying inside, but okay. for the most part, it's protecting corporate insiders to give them cover, so to speak. So they created these 10B51 plans. And the 10B51 plan was created in 2000 after the last dot-com crash. And that because obviously in 1999, I don't have to go back and look, I know there was executives at all these tech companies promoting revenue numbers and selling stock at the same time. So they prosecuted some of those people, but um, some of those now they want to eradicate that and, and take the risk off of the insiders. And so they create this 10B51 plan. So 10B51 plans allow you to set up, put a plan in place ahead of time. Now, in good faith, it should be months ahead from when you want to execute, buy or sell. It should be consistent. You should have one plan 
you should announce it to shareholders what that plan that is in place. Maybe not all the specifics, but tell them. 80% of companies that have 10B51 plans in general don't report it to the street. Wall Street investors, Wall Street finds out either through stock sales that they see that a sale occurred. And it's a form. It's a form four. It says sold through 10B51 plan. And sometimes you see these crazy sales like CEO sold 100,000 shares two days before a stock dropped 20%. I'm not talking and, about any. Yeah, and that ahead. doesn't create any red flag uh, with well, the SEC. Well, it should create a red flag with the SEC. It should be a yellow flag or red flag and everything. But truth is, there hasn't been a prosecution. So let's talk about, let's back up for a second. You've had people, I read in your book, actually, you had a couple of insider trader cases. And I'll wait, I, want, I want you to talk about it in a second, but I want to be very clear. There's several ways to insider trade, right? There's me telling you, I work at a company, uh, we're about to be bought or make an acquisition. I let you know what that acquisition target is. You go buy the stock in that, in that company, stock goes up 80%. That's illegal. You, you traded on inside information I gave you. SEC catches you, both pay fines, both go to jail. That's one way to end. That's a form of, of insider trading. That's how I think people think of it the most. You know, Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel, all this stuff, okay? Let's, you know, let's, that, that's how people think. Then there's the bigger ones where an insider dumps all of his stock right before announcing a terrible quarter or some fraud in the company, stock drops 90%, but guess what? The CEO had sold all of the stock. And then there's the ones that you kind of dealt with in the past, more of the pump and dumper. Uh, yep. It could be a company specific, it could be at a broker dealer. There's a lot of forms. Yep. So let's take a step back and tell the story of the case that you had, which was widely known at the time that's in your book. Yes. And you talk about it. I want you to hear your take on it because I want to talk to you about explain to people why some insider trader cases are state and some are federal and why that is. So go ahead. Well, this case happened to be a state case. Um, the SEC were investigating this group, uh, very similar to like uh, the, the movie uh, Boiler Room. Uh, and these guys were involved with penny stocks, but they were involved with hedging the, the stock up top and then pumping it up. And the higher ups were, were dumping the stock. And uh, the state came in and uh, they arrested. Wait, where was this? What, sorry. This is Manhattan. This is in Manhattan. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and the state came in and arrested uh, anywhere between, I think, six to 10 guys. What year was and this? Sorry. I want to say I'm uh, off the top of my head. This goes back to either between two, 2004, 2005. It was okay. one of the largest bails I've ever written in state history and commercial bail history was written in this case. It was a $5 million bail. I don't want to name the kid. Uh, because, you know, he did his time. He came home. Good guy. I actually got, had a great relationship with him. But uh, and he, Did he give you any good stock tips? or I didn't get any no. good stock okay. tips. But right. the story gets, <laughs> I'll tell you where the story gets ugly. There was one young man who was involved in this trading of one of these stocks. How many people were arrested, by the way? I wanted, I, I, off the top of my head, going back 15 years ago, I think it was anywhere. I did about seven to 10 bales. So I'm going to say anywhere. I think the indictment might've had about 12 people on it. Okay. Uh, and the, one of the young men. And they were all from the same firm. Sorry. Yes. All from, all the, same from the same firm, all okay. from the same firm. Yep. And one of the young men uh, was a young kid who um, got into the firm late and might've been only made anywhere between two and three trades. And the judge on the case was livid. He set bails that were huge phone book number bails, uh, you know, a million dollars, 750, 3 million, 5 million. Why is that? Cause it's a flight. Cause he thought they had enough money to be. No, a flight risk? no, I think he was just pissed off at wall street. I think he was just pissed off at the white collar world and he was human. 
and he set this kid's bail at a high number. I think it was $3 million. You weren't upset with that? Well, I, at that point, I couldn't believe the bails were being set, but this kid couldn't make this. This kid was from like, like the Lower East Side. He, he was a nice young boy, and he, he, he was like, what the hell is going on here? And he sat in Rikers for over two months, and nobody helped him. None of the hierarchy that were uh, involved in this case helped him, and everybody was, you know, it, it was a doggy dog world. And he got involved with some gang members that uh, were, were shaking him down inside. And they were beating him up. And he ended up hanging himself. In prison. In prison. And he hung himself and he killed himself. And uh, it, it killed me. And it killed me. And I actually was really taken back by it. You know, being in my business, you know, you deal with people every day, you know, and I always get involved with people that say uh, for morals. Ira, don't you, don't you, you know, don't you get upset that you're taking out a child molester? Don't you get upset that you're taking out uh, a gang member? Don't you get upset that you're taking out a guy that sold 10 bags of uh, heroin to a kid? And my answer is, hey, uh, if I was a doctor and uh, somebody shot a cop and the cop shot back and the cop wounded this guy and he gets wheeled into the operating room, I have to, I have to operate on him. If I'm a lawyer and there's a terrorist that got that picked up and I'm part of the state system or the Fed system. And, the, and they say, hey, you got to represent. I'm doing my job. But this case, it's stuck in my craw because this kid, I couldn't help him. I couldn't help him because. And I, I'm and sure I you were looking for a way to, I'm sure you were looking for a way for him to make this bail. I mean, you, you well, know. I, I remember all the guys on the case were making bail, like, because they had money and they had family, they had houses. This kid had nothing. Why didn't they help he, him out? Why because, didn't they help him? Because it's a doggy dog world, uh, world Danny. And, and everybody was worried about themselves back then. And it was a very big case for the state to take down. And, and this kid, you know, was, they were like, we're going to take care of him when we get out, when we get out. And then they got out and nobody took care of him. And before you knew it, Boom, and he hung himself. And uh, it, 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 it really sat with me. And it sat with one of the major guys who I ended up bailing out in this case because he and me, we talked about it. And he blamed the judge for this. And he blamed the prosecution for this. And I remember I went to the prosecution. I said, hey, did you know that, you know, blank committed suicide in jail? And he said, yeah, we heard. But it was just, you know, let's move on to the next subject. And this poor kid was literally just a casualty of war, just a casualty of war. And this poor kid was at the low end of the total pole. This bail should have been no more than $100,000. And I probably would have put it up myself if the family didn't have, you know, money. Uh, I would have worked with them, you know, but if the, I think the bail going back then was millions. What did the family end up doing? Did they sue this? Did they sue this, the city? I don't think they sued the city. I, I, I know he took his own life. I wanted to help him, but I was in a different part of my life at that point, in a different part of my world. I, I, I didn't know as many people that were inside at that time as I do now, you know, 15, 16 years from, from there. But um, it sits with me. And look, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, me and you go back and forth on whistleblowers. We've talked about this before on our show. And, uh, and inside a trade, look, the white collar people, the Madoffs of the world, they get away with this every single day. And there should be more people looking at the SEC and more people looking at what's going on on insider trading because it happens all the time. And uh, yeah. we talked, and we even talked, you made a comment to me once before, like the big chill. You say there's people that say, hey, you mean the big short? Bought. Oh, uh, big the chill. Big chill. Remember in the big chill when, when uh, I think it was Gary Klein, uh, 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 the, the actor, I think, uh, said to 
the other actor. William Hurt? Hey, it's William Hurt's in that, right? Was it, oh, right. Was yeah. And he says, my company, my small company is going to get big, get bought by a big company. And anybody that owns our stock is going to triple their number. Oh, that's how What's-His-Name was able to buy that land. And it happens all the time. Yeah. And you know it as well as I do because you were in that world for a long time. Yeah. And I made a point to stay away from all that stuff. And a couple of things that happened during that time period. So in 2006, Countrywide Financial, which was a huge casualty of the mortgage crisis, right? They were the biggest, one of the biggest ones, if not the biggest mortgage broker out there, mortgage bank. Angelo Mazzillo, who was the, the CEO, turns out that in 2006, before they had announced horrible news, I mean, everyone could see it coming, although 2006 was a little early, but a lot of people saw it coming. He sold millions and millions of dollars worth of stock, and he did it through 10B51 plans. He didn't have one 10B51 plan, not two, not three, but four. So you can have multiple plans with multiple parameters. You can say if the stock is ever above this, but the only one of the only prerequisites about establishing a 10B51 plan is you are not allowed to have material non-public information in possession at that time. Now, let me tell you why that's a farce. So let's say I was the CEO of a company and I put a plan in place today. Okay, and I said on November 1st, I'm going to sell 200,000 shares of stock if it's above 50 bucks a share. Okay, I find out that the quarter is going to be great, that something big is happening within the company. I can cancel that plan anytime I want. So I've now canceled. Now I cancel the plan. I didn't signal to Wall Street or investors that I had a plan, and there's certainly not going to be a signal that I canceled. As far as you know, it never existed. So I cancel that plan, and you can cancel a plan when you have information, supposedly, or you think you're, you're, you're estimating that the news is going to be good. Let me give you a second. I can have multiple plans in place that I will sell on November 1st and November 8th, November 15th, and I'll cancel maybe one or two of those four plans, but not all of them. I give myself the variability. I set up myself to protect myself from any insider trading scrutiny because I've given myself multiple options. Now, when this rule was established, the spirit of it was not this. It was not multiple plans. It was not to not disclose it to the street. It was not, you know, these, this was not the intent, but no good deed goes unpunished. And so in 2009, the government um, levied a massive fine against Mozilla. It was pretty much the last big one. And I want to say it was, um, I'll give you the dollar amount. Hang on. Did he do any jail time? Uh, no, he avoided jail time, but he paid, of course not. You know, $67.5 million. Um, That's nothing. Of which $45 million was ill-gotten gains and $22.5 million fine. But it was like the biggest fine ever. And that was in 2009. But, you know, that was the epitome of abusing a 10 b 51 In 2017, this went unpunished. I don't even know if it was looked at. So the CEO of Intel in November 2017 revised a 10 b 51 plan, all right, and sold $39 million worth of stock, which was all the liquid stock he had. We're not talking about all of it, all of it. A month later, they disclosed there was a, there was a security um, problem in, in their products. I don't know if you, you probably wouldn't remember that, but in 2017, 17, the stock got crushed because they announced there was some type of loophole and a flaw in their chip. Stock got killed. He had sold stock right before that. And a 10 5 one that was established right before that. So maybe he, one of the engineers said, uh, we need to have a meeting about so-and-so. And he's like, hold on, I don't want to go in that meeting yet. Let me, you know, so I don't know all the specifics, but that went completely unchecked. No one ever, ever checked that one, right? So talk about the SEC not doing anything. In 2019, the House passed the Corporate Insiders Act. I think it was HR 264. They sent it to the Senate, and it completely was dead. And it had to do with the 10B51 plan. It said, it, you know, it was going to 
uh, restrict the timing of the plan, limit the number of plans a single insider could have. They currently have no limit. Or you could have as many plans and you could create as much variability for yourself as you want. It would, it would require public disclosure of those plans, which you don't have to do. And it would limit all the modifications and changes that you can make to those plans, which are unlimited. So these 10B5-1s were established to protect corporate insiders, not the investor. And right. I, would tell, I would tell investors when they're looking at these Form 4s, and a lot of people probably don't, you can find them. They're supposed to report within a few days of a sale. So you go back and look, hit the Form 4 and look what it was. Was it an option sale? Was, and what was it done? Was it done under a 10B5-1 or was it a regular window opening? Because you have to have a window open of time to make us. Yeah, go ahead, Ira. No, okay. So something smells fishy here. You're telling me that the feds or the state or the AG's office is not on to this whole 10B51 situation where they're not looking into it as a loophole for them to basically sit there and, and keep stealing money from either companies or their investors or whoever they're doing this with? I mean, Let me say this. Well, it's, it's, this is pretty actually easy to explain. And, it's, and when I say it, it's, it's common sense. When the tide goes out, meaning when the market goes down on a sustainable period of time, forget the COVID you know, quick move lower and then back up. There's too much going on for the government to even deal with that. I totally get it. And if they're going to investigate this stuff months from now, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Tell me if I want. Whenever the market's up, no one asks questions. It's always when the market's down. When the retail investor starts to lose money, they ask questions. When the retail investor is making money, they don't care. No one's complaining. And as far as they're concerned, that's what's going on right now. So I'll tell you, it's going to take a down market. It always does. Look what happened. They go back and did anyone question Angelo Mozilla in 2006? The market was ripping. Mortgage things was great. It wasn't until later in 2007, 2008, the market went to hell. And what happens? In 2009, they come back. 1999, markets gets killed. 2000, what do they do? They enact this 10B51 plan. Then the World Common Enron happened. So things always are backwards looking on Wall Street. They always have been. But people will take advantage as much as they can and extend it. But these are common sense things that the SEC, to your point, there has not been a prosecution so I, th I think on a 10, an enforcement on a 10B51 since 2012, there's been insider trading investigations into leaking of information, into penny stock rings, into pump and dumps and all those things. But no one touches the large corporate executive, these companies. And it's crazy to me. And, you know, you can use it as a signal, uh, you know, people use insider selling and insider buying for that matter as a signal whether they should buy or sell stocks just as an extra tool. Um, but I would question, you know, these 10B51 and bringing it full circle back to these biotech companies. I mean, if you're chief medical officer who's, who's running, you know, theoretically running the program for your vaccine is every day selling every share he can. What, you know, I, I get it. Maybe he, you know, everyone has a personal story. But one, how is it allowed for anyone that's in Operation Warp Speed to be selling stock? You're getting grant, government grant money. You've had crazy stuff happen with a lot of weird companies like Kodak, which is now all of a sudden going to become a drug manufacturing company that after their Polaroid business, I'm sure, Ira, you're probably the only one that still uses a Polaroid. I do. I do. I have a camera. So they became a Bitcoin company for a while. The stock was two bucks and all of a sudden they're granted Bitcoin. hundreds of millions of dollars to build a drug facility. You know, the CEO, guess what? The CEO got granted options days before that announcement. He was given. I mean, so it's not just 10B51. It's the entire behavior. And people might call me a hypocrite uh, being a next Wall Street guy, but Ira, everyone that knows me knows how, you know, the, the, the scrutiny which I lay. And listen, sometimes there's insider buying and you'll buy the stocks, right? I mean, you, 
you, if you see a CEO buying stock in droves, you got to wake up to that. I mean, that was always something that we kind of looked at. Well, of course. I mean, if you're a fun guy and you're basically protecting people's money and managing it and you see yeah. something like going on, what are you going to do? Right. And by the way, the brokers are the ones that institute these plans on behalf of these companies. Do you think that right. they're, so that's like an arm's length transaction, right? Well, I didn't do it. The broker had the instructions and he followed. Little did you know the broker's instructions changed at 9.29 a.m., you know, a minute before the market was going to open. But it's just, you're right, it's common sense. So to answer your question, I just said they tried to pass a bill in early 2019. No one's going to do anything right now. Maybe if there's the next administration, it changes. Um, but I mean, it's every, it's, and by the way, it's not just the corporate insiders, it's payday lenders, it's, 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 the, it's certain companies that get away with abusing investors, in, abusing consumers. Um, I mean, the CFPB, like it or not, was set up to protect the consumer. Everyone's, oh, it's too strenuous. It punishes company too much. It's, it's too liberal of a, well, it was set up to protect individuals so that credit cards can't go from 5.99% and you miss a payment and jump to 24.99 the next day. Those are the type of things, right? And, and you know what? Guess what? You had, you know, corporate swamp players get those bills thrown out. You've had payday lenders from the state of South Carolina that have, you know, lobbied as much as they can to get what they wanted to allow that stuff to still occur. That has, I've gone off the rail. I'm off of the 10B51, but no. But my point is that, like, I think there's a group of people that don't know they're being duped, and and that that's both investors and consumers. But investors specifically, no one asks questions when you're making money. Who asks the question? How did I? If I hand you 500 bucks, how'd that happen? Nobody, Nobody asked Madoff that, right? Nobody asked right. Madoff why they were making right. all that money. Right. Even if it's never even real, which is even, even worse. Even the Mets. Even your favorite team, the Mets. Yeah. Um, so I'm just looking like in 2019, the SEC for cases for insider trading, 30 total. Yeah. I mean, this is not possible, right? And, and yes, they're working on other things. But um, it's, uh, it's, listen, buyer beware. And uh, nothing's going to happen. I wouldn't short stocks necessarily based upon it. But I would definitely, if I'm long a company, it's one of the things I would look at in what these 10 v 51 plans. And you know what? 20% of companies announce their 10 v 51 and give it to the investors. And they should. It should be fully transparent, not maybe the dollar amount that they're going to sell, but that we have one. And this is what, how we're thinking about it and, you know, kind of present the strategy. And I'm sure there are good companies out there that do that. But, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's just hard to watch. And, and what really triggered me was the $10 billion, this Operation Warp Speed, which, like I said, if it was $100 billion, I'd be happy because if it can help get a cure. But it's just, you know, money gets handed out. The same thing happened with this PPP money, right? A lot of people were taking it this shit. Now, if that's now coming out, that's going to take years and years to unwind who took advantage of that stuff and, and, and who didn't. So that's, you know, I'm passionate about that stuff. I will say that the whistleblower cases, you brought it up earlier, are up. And if you go on the SEC's website, there's like a settlement. There's like a settlement every other page. I mean, I'm not one of those. I don't have anything to blow to whistleblow on at the moment. But, um, you know, it is, uh, it is something that they, that they are doing at least. But that's someone else doing all the work for them, for the SEC. So... Can you explain, Ira, just real quick, I go back to this, and I know we've talked about this before. If, if a company was located in a, a state, whatever, Texas, Arkansas, I don't, Florida, and they committed securities fraud, what jurisdiction is it? Is it the state? Is it that state? Is it going to be, if an investor was harmed that lives in Washington state, does it become federal? Where would the bails be? How does that, why, how does that work? Well, a lot of the, a lot of the white collar cases um, come out of the southern and Eastern District of New York. Um, a lot of it has to do with jurisdiction, but a lot has to do with who brings the case 
to what branch of the government. There's a lot of AG cases, which the attorney general's cases. There's a lot of state cases, which happen in each state, uh, state, excuse me, uh, you know, whether it be New York, whether it be Florida, whether it be Te- whatever. And a lot of the federal cases seem to always end up back in the, you know, in the Southern or Eastern district here in New York, just based a lot have to do with Wall Street, based how it's being traded, and based on the snitch or based on the wiretapping, where wiretappings come out of. So, you know, you know, most cases end up in the jurisdiction of the state that it's in, but there's a lot of times that it ends up back here in New York. And there's a lot of times that the state or the AG's office will punt it to the federal government because they have more money in their budget for wiretapping and, uh, you know, and different types of um, ways to go after the individuals in the white collar world. Right. It feels like right now in this market that the SEC is being directed just to don't do anything that could hurt the stock market right now. And I believe that's 100% correct. I believe it. I mean, right now the world is, you know, as we uh, we're seeing it is in a complete tizzy. And right now I don't think that's something that should be on anybody's plate because I think we should worry about nothing but health and getting ourselves back on our feet uh, and for people to get back to, you know, everyday world. I totally agree. And, and like I said, if the market does sell off or a stock like Moderna um, ends up, you know, failing, which maybe they'll give it a try. They may have a product. They might have a product that works, but that'll be something that's looked at a year from now. Right. And the stock ends up back at five bucks and then there's an investigation. That's not going to help anybody. That's not going to help anyone. You know what I'm saying now? But so people bringing it up. I mean, so people that are on Twitter, that's where you'll find most of it, obviously, but the journal has written about it. Um, you, you will find that stuff. And listen, it's taxpayer dollar too. It's our money at the end of the day, right? That's going Absolutely. into these pockets, not to all these 10 B five ones necessarily, but to like just this operation warp speed and we should care. I mean, people, people should care. So, um, just something that, um, you know, that I've get passionate about. I've been looking at and, and well, well, maybe, how do you know, maybe when everything clears up, Dan, we circle back around in six months to a year and maybe you, you get, you know, you get your wish and I get my wish and our worlds do collide and you see a state case where somebody hit behind this loophole of 10 B5, 10, 4, 5 B, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, cause I get screwed up with the same things. Yeah. You know that. And, yep. uh, somebody gets arrested and they weren't able to hide behind that loophole for the 10 B5. So I know we talk about him a lot, but I'm getting Alex Spiro back on this cause we should be hammering him with questions about in general, he's, he's represented a lot of corporate insiders on this stuff. Um, I'd be curious actually to get his thoughts on it. And we should, we should get, I can get a prosecutor to come on one day and let him uh, out of the Manhattan uh, economics bureau uh, uh, or one of the bureaus over there to say, Hey, these cases are on our radar. These cases are something that we have looked at, but it's, it's very in depth because just now with the whole bail reform situation, and I said this on Dr. Oz, um, you know, they were protecting the white collar people. There's no more protection. They're going to be back with heavy bails again. And the state and the feds and the AG's office are going to go after a lot of people on a lot of stuff in the SEC, insider trading, uh, fraud, uh, whatever it might be. And you're going to see Now, you're not going to see it for a while because there's no grand juries convening because we're still in the world of COVID. But you're going to see it in the next year. So you can get, so, so let me ask you one last question. So, and I think, I think I know the answer, but the, the Southern district of New York doesn't need the SEC to go after someone for fraud. The SEC would be embarrassed and they would be brought into the matter and and they would tell them, Hey, if you don't want to look bad, you may want to file in in conjunction with us. Right. I mean, you can 
bring a securities. Well, vice uh, versa. The SEC might turn around and say, hey, look, we've been investigating uh, John Simmons Capital. Yeah. And, and we feel there's an injustice here. And they say, send us what you have. And then they'll start looking and say, hey, you got, you got, you got major issues here. Because, you know, there's almost a, a limit for them to go to until they turn it over or kick it over to a government agency. Right. Hopefully, you know, both of our worlds collide. You get hopefully, what you want. Hopefully you get more clients and, and uh, I get to short some stocks. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, anyway, that'll do it for this episode. Bail Street, I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettleson. We'll catch you next time. That'll wrap it up for this episode of Bell Street. You can subscribe to our podcast at bellstreet.com or any other service that you use to download podcasts. We'll see you next time on Bell Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettleson.